Hello and welcome. We are Restoration Church in beautiful Prescott, Arizona. Thank you for joining us. My name is Nate Huss and I am stoked you are tuning in to our teaching of the week. If you are new, so glad you found us. If you haven't already and would like to learn a little bit more about us, jump over to restorationaz.org. All right, let's grab our Bibles and dive into this week's teaching. John chapter 13. I love the, the scriptures. Sometimes when I study, it goes really easily, and I'm like, wow, God is really great, and it's easy, and it's fun. And other times, I just wrestle, and I'm like, what, what is this? What do I do with it? You just kind of never know what you're going to get week in and week out. John chapter 13 is, I think, one of the richest, is the word that comes to mind, richest chapters in all of the scriptures. We get to have this really challenging but beautiful, intense, weird look at who Jesus is and who he calls us to be. I'll go ahead and read verse one. It says this, before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now by the time of supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. So Jesus is about to die, and he knows that his death is imminent. He knows that his breaths are coming to a conclusion. He recognizes that this night, this dinner, will be his last Passover with his disciples. He recognizes that this is actually one of the very last times that he's going to have an opportunity uninterrupted to teach them, to communicate, to guide them in this way. So these are some of Jesus' final words and instructions, which adds, I think, to the richness. It's one of the last things. Of all the things he could teach, of all the things he could demonstrate and model, this is what Jesus does with the last remaining hours of this type of communication and opportunity with his disciples because he knows his death is imminent. In the rest of this passage, we're going to really see two different things, and I'll tell you what those are right now. Number one, to be loved by Jesus is to be served by Jesus. It's a concept maybe we know, but we're probably not comfortable with. We'll talk about that more. The second thing we're going to see is that to love like Jesus is to become people that wash the feet of other people. To be loved by Jesus is to be served by Jesus. To love like Jesus is to wash the feet of those around us. I'll continue to read in verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. This verse here provides kind of the foundation, the why of Jesus serving us. That to love, to be loved by Jesus means to be served by Jesus. Why does Jesus serve us? Why does he humbly take on the role of a servant? Because there's no questions about his identity. Jesus isn't trying to climb a ladder. Jesus doesn't have anything to prove or anybody to impress. He's fully content with who the Father has declared he is. Read that again. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. There were no questions about who he was, where he was going, what his past was, or what his future entailed. This is what allowed Jesus to have a humility we can't fathom. 
It's what allowed Jesus to do what he was going to do next, which was to serve his disciples. We read then in verse 4. So he got up from supper, laid aside his robe, took a towel, and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. This is really significant. The almighty God of the universe, the creator, the savior, the sustainer, is humbling himself enough to wash most likely dirty and disgusting feet at dinner or before dinner, just after dinner. That no other God washes the feet of the people that worship and follow him. Look at the verbs here. So Jesus got up from supper. He laid aside his robe, took a towel, and tied it around himself. I want to focus for a minute on, on, on one phrase there. He laid aside his robe. This is pretty meaningful. When he literally takes off his robe and lays it to the side, he's taking off the, the symbol of his status in that moment. He's saying, I'm going to put aside who I am positionally in society in this moment as the leader, as God, as the teacher, as the one in charge, as the most important person in the room, and I'm literally going to take that off and put it to the side for a time. In this moment, the first step Jesus takes is to take off his status, to put it to the side. Now, there's two other things Jesus is doing as he washes the feet of his disciples. As he takes off the robe and puts it to the side, he's also taking off his concerns and putting them to the side. If you remember in verse one and two, he's about to be crucified. He's about to have nails driven through his body onto wood and hung up and displayed and humiliated for all to see. He's about to have a crown of thorns smashed violently into his head until he bleeds and to be whipped with a barb so that there's lashes on his back as the blood dries and then it's ripped off again every time he heaves a breath to stay uh, alive on the cross. Like That's coming up real quickly for Jesus. That's on the forefront of his mind. He knows what's about to happen. He's concerned by it. He'll sweat blood later. He's so concerned about it. He's anxious. And he takes that, his concerns that were very real, and he puts them to the side for that moment. He also had a to-do list, just like you and I have to-do lists. His to-do list was pretty important, too. He was about to save the world. You've probably never had saving the world in 24 hours on your to-do list. Jesus did. And he took the to-do list of saving the world, and he put it to the side. So to recap, what Jesus has done is he took off his robe, and with it he put it to the side, and he put to the side his status and position, his very real concerns, and his very significant to-do list. It was customary to have feet washed in this time and day, and there was no servants in that room at that time to do it. There was a long line of disciples that could have stepped up 
and we're more apt, more appropriate choices to take on the role of servant to wash feet. But Jesus didn't wait. He didn't ask anyone else to do it. He literally lowered himself and embraced that role, laid aside his concerns, laid aside his to-do list and his pride. And then look at the next verb. After he puts aside his robe, he takes a towel and tied it around himself. So the first step, we see this later in the writings of Paul, is to put off and put on. Jesus takes aside the robe and then he takes on the towel and it becomes a part of him for that moment. And when he takes on this towel to then wash the feet of his disciples, he's taking on these opposing three things. Now it's a different status. He's taking on the status of a servant. It was the servants and the lowest of the servants that washed the feet of the guests. And Jesus says, I am the servant now for you. That's crazy. No God becomes the servant for the people that worship him. But Jesus does. He doesn't just take on that status. He takes on their concerns And then he takes on their to-do list. He sets aside his own and he takes on the concerns, the to-do list, the worries, the confusions, the moments, the needs, the feelings, the sorrows, the brokenness of the people around him, even the one that would betray him so that he would be hung on the cross, which was was his concern. What, What Jesus is doing here is honestly like we can't even grasp the significance of of everything that is happening here. We continue to read in verse six. He came to Simon Peter as he's washing the feet. He's already washed the feet of of multiple disciples. And Simon Peter says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you don't understand now. But afterward, you will know. And then I love, I just love Peter. You will never wash my feet ever, Jesus. Like, no chance. You're not going to do this. I'm not going to let you. To which Jesus responds, if I don't wash you, you have no part of me. And now Peter does a 180. He says, okay, Lord, then not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Peter's all over the place. I love his passion. He's kind of crazy. I feel similar sometimes. Jesus tells him, One who is bathed doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you, for he knew who would betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. A lot of us are like Peter in our American culture, or at least now, maybe a subplot of American culture, this American dream ideology where you embrace responsibility and you work hard and anything's possible for you if you go do it. It's one of the the hard things. It's beautiful in many, many ways. It's incredibly beautiful, and I'm deeply thankful for it. But it's actually something that makes understanding the gospel really challenging. One of the things that I uh, was most struck by this week as I I studied John 13 was different than the last time I studied and taught on it. Last time, I just couldn't get over the fact that Jesus got down and washed the feet of Judas. Judas. He got down and washed the feet of his enemy that was going to betray him so that he could be hung on a cross. That's crazy. That didn't seem that significant to me this time. You know what seems significant to me is that Peter said no. And I think so many of us, when Jesus says, hey, I need to wash your feet, it's not optional. If you want me, then this has to happen. And by the way, foot washing is a daily thing. 
That's what Jesus is saying here. You only get saved once, the full bath, but the foot washing needs to happen again and again and again. And Peter at first says no. And I think many of us say no to Jesus because we want to do the work. We make it about ourselves. Uh, I, I wrote this down and I'm, it's, just, it's just hitting in my heart this week because I don't like it. <laughs> Christianity begins and ends with being served by Christ, not us serving Christ. But so often, what we've been taught, what we've been told, what we've been instructed to do is more. Your faith, like if you're being discipled by someone, they might, be, they might say something like, how is your walk with Jesus right now? How are you doing with Jesus right now? How is your quiet time? Do you have a devotional? Are you serving? Are you giving? Who's the main subject there? You. If you read the scriptures and understand the gospel, you and I are never the main subject. We're really important. Enough that Jesus gave up his life on a cross and rose from the grave for us, but we are never the main character. And I think we lose sight of that. Oftentimes we don't like being served because it takes humility to admit that we're in need, that we can't do it ourselves, that we're not self-sustaining, that we're not enough. And what Jesus is saying in this moment is that we are not enough, but he is. And as the almighty God of the universe, he says, come to me so I can wash your feet. That's humbling. That's hard to accept. Yes, we're called to worship God, to serve him. But the first call and the last call and the most important call will always be actually to be served by Jesus. Letting Jesus wash our feet, by that I obviously mean figuratively. I'll explain specifically what I think it means in a minute. But letting him wash our feet requires deep humility, deep trust. It requires letting go of, of the vision we have for ourselves. To let Jesus wash your feet requires letting go of the vision you have for Jesus. We talked about this last week. And instead, letting Jesus' vision for your life be what leads you. And that's hard to do. I'm a, I'm a real big believer in clean feet. <laughs> feet should be clean. There's no reason today that feet should be dirty or smelly. They should just be clean. In John chapter 13, there's this crazy reality you'll, you will read in a second that after Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, he went back and reclined. They ate meals of significance in a reclined position. Do you know what a reclined position does to your feet? It raises them up closer to other people's heads. <laughs> it just does. If the person next to you laid down, your feet would be close, or their feet would be close to your nose. That might not be great. And this was something that happened to have had to happen daily, this foot washing. It was both ceremonial, it was an honor, but it was also needed. They walked around in, in sandals and the dust. And so hour after hour, step after step, their feet would be caked in sweaty mud. And then they would go eat a special meal and the feet would be close to your nose because they reclined. This was significant. Two things I think are happening when Jesus figuratively washes our feet and actually wash their feet. There's a purification process going, that's ceremonial in nature, spiritual, and then there's a refreshment aspect to this. Both matter. 
Every single day, you and I, because our hearts, like our the feet of the disciples in this day, get caked, get shrouded with the dust of our own pride and vision. We need our hearts to be renewed and clean, to be purified and refreshed. We need Jesus to purify us in the symbolic figurative washing of our feet by, in order to, I should say, remove our own distorted pride, our vision, our distorted desires, even animosities, lusts, faulty thinking, harmful relationships, our greed needs purified and you can't purify yourself daily because you're messed up like I'm messed up. And we need refreshment. We need Jesus daily to give us life and joy and peace and pleasure and hope and strength and fun and laughter. I remember a number of months ago, I was talking with one of our elders about, about things going on in my life. And he's like, you just need to pray that God refreshes you. And I was like, oh, I've never thought of that. In fact, it actually felt selfish to pray, God, refresh me. And then I did it because Bill gave me permission to. <laughs> and you know what happened? God refreshed me. It's kind of crazy how he answers and listens and does. And we need that daily purification and refreshment in our soul and our body and our being and our mind and our thinking. To be loved by Jesus is to be served by Jesus. To let Jesus wash your feet. We need to come to him daily for this. Again, it has nothing to do with salvation. That's the note about the bath versus the foot washing. He's saying, nope, that just happens once. We get saved once. But daily, we need purification. We need refreshment. Now on to part two. Part two is to love like Jesus. It means to wash the feet of others. Let's read verse 12. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his robe... He reclined again and said to them, do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord. This is well said, for I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. I assure you, a slave is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. We, we live in a, a world today where almost anything in your life can be customized. Like, there's an unbelievable amount of apps on my phone and I can pick whatever restaurant and order food from them, have them deliver it to my doorstep and I can be like, hey, leave it like 10 feet away because I don't feel like you're getting too close. Or knock and then I'll answer. And if I order a hamburger, there's like 27 options, like all the vegetables in the world. Do you want extra this? A normal amount of that? Just half of it? How do you want it cooked? You can customize everything. Clothing options, if you go online, there's like a billion sizes and colors and styles. We can customize almost anything. The one thing, or one of the things that we cannot customize is Jesus. We don't get to form him in our own image and with what's comfortable and feels good according to our vision. Instead, Jesus is who he is and what he calls us to is to be people that wash feet. Now, it's not customary 
I hope for you to wash people's feet in your world. That would be weird. But the principles of what it entails, the heartbeats, the value of what it means to wash feet is something we are absolutely still called to. It's the same process, so we're in a review of the process for Jesus. One, it has to start with identity. Let me go back to to verse three. What allows us to become the type of people that have the humility to wash other people's feet is only an identity in Christ. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. We have to understand our identity in Christ before we can do anything with true humility. Here is your identity if, and it's a big if, this is not everybody, but if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a child designed brilliantly by the almighty God of the universe. Flawed by sin, that's your story, but saved by the blood and power of Jesus. You are fully forgiven. You are being formed into the likeness of Jesus himself. You're being sculpted by the the sculptor, the master designer, the perfect one, to be the best version of you that he designed you to be before you ever breathed the breath of air. Like this is your identity as a beloved child of God and your future is perfect. He's got a plan. Your past is taken care of. You're forgiven. You have nothing to prove, nothing to accomplish, nobody to impress because Jesus has placed the price tag on your life and it was his death. It has to start with knowing our identity. And when you feel something different about your identity or you're told something different, you can know that's a lie that's been birthed by Satan. We can't serve people until we're confident in who we are because of what Jesus has declared to be true about us. And then we just follow the verbs, the same verbs that Jesus did. What's the first section? To put aside three things, our status, our concerns, and our to-do lists. Take like 30 seconds. I'll stop talking for a minute. And and think about what you're concerned about and think about your to-do list in the next 48 hours. Maybe today is a a day of rest of sorts. And then Monday, theoretically, maybe you get back to work or whatever it is, tasks at home, dealing with finances, chores, your vocation. Spend a minute. Just think about what's concerning you, what you got to go do after this. Think about it. Tomorrow at, let's see, 2 p.m., I have a really important meeting in Phoenix I've been waiting for for a month. That's on my to-do list, and I need to prepare for it. The house needs cleaned. By the time I get home, I'll probably have a child or two to discipline, I'm sure. (laughs) 
You have your own list. I'm guessing, like I said earlier, saving the world's not on your list of things you have to do in the next 48 hours. And I'm guessing hanging on a cross isn't one of your concerns. And I'm not saying your concerns aren't real and meaningful and that Jesus doesn't care about them. He does. But if he could set aside his status as God and set aside his concerns of being crucified and separated from the Father and set aside his to-do list of literally saving the world, then there's times we can set aside our own status and concerns and to-do list to figuratively wash the feet of another and love the way Jesus has loved us and has called us to love. What does that look like? Uh, a mentor of mine was sharing with me how he manages his schedule because he's insanely busy and has meetings all the time. And he said the way he does it is if he wants a meeting with someone, if he's requesting the meeting, and he just works around their schedule. Whatever's convenient for them, he makes that work. And if someone's requesting his time, then they will work around his schedule. It's just, it makes sense. You have to have some kind of system to do this. And there's times that that rule, that guide has to be broken. You have concerns, important things to actually do. My, my mentor has a lot of people relying on him and he needs to stay true to those things because God's gifted him brilliantly. And then there's times that he's called to break the rule, to put aside his status, his concerns, his to-do list, to just sit at the feet of another and embrace their concerns, to take on the towel, it's not just put off, put to the side, to take on their concerns, to take on their to-do list, and to take on the identity of a servant. When's the last time you did that? When's the last time you put off to the side your status, your concerns, and your to-do list, and you actually took on the status of servant, took on the concerns of another, and took on their to-do list? It's what we're called to. There's an important kind of caveat, though. We're not called to that always, and there's always an end to it. Look at what... We, we read about in verse 12. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his robe, he did the task, he embraced their concerns. There was a, a thing that needed to be done, an action step, and he did it. He washed their feet and then he put his robe and his status and his concerns and his to-do list back on. Jesus doesn't call you to just ignore who he's made you to be and where he's placed you in your home and with your vocation and with your relationships and just serve people constantly, never dealing with things that need to be dealt with. He put his robe back on. What we're called to in the way of Jesus is to always be prepared to put aside our status concerns and to-do list and to take on the status of servants, to take on the concerns and to-do list of another. It can't be constant, though. It's for a moment. It's for a season. It's for a person. And then you put yours back on. But if you've found that you never do that, then pride's probably in the way. And then what do we have to go back to? Jesus, wash my feet. Jesus, purify my heart. Renew a right spirit within me. 
Jesus, refresh my soul so that out of the refreshment you've given me, I can refresh others. In his book, uh, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis talks about humility. I've shared before, I think Christians and churches get all kinds of things wrong. One of the things I think we have the most distorted is our idea of humility. I think so often we think people that are insecure and lack confidence are humble, and people that are confident are arrogant, and that's just not true. I love how C.S. Lewis frames it. Uh, I'll read this. If we were to meet a truly humble person, he says, we would never come away from meeting them thinking they were humble. They would not be always telling us they were a nobody, because a person who keeps saying they are a nobody is actually a self-obsessed person. The thing we would remember from meeting a truly gospel humble person is how much they seemed to be totally interested in us. Because the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself, it is thinking of myself less. That is good. When is the last time you were totally interested in another person and their concerns and to-do list? To the degree that they would have known When's the last time somebody was totally interested in what was going on in your world? This is true humility. I love that. Not thinking less of yourself. That's pride. Not thinking more of yourself. That's pride. Just thinking of yourself less. What can this look like in the everyday stuff of our lives? I think it looks like a boss who knows his employees well enough to know when something's wrong and he steps in and he asks questions and he listens and he recognizes that maybe there's something in the marriage that's just broken and hard. And so he stops the productivity, money-making things of the day to just be and listen. And then get back to work eventually. But he stops because he cares. I think it's employees who, though they have a a million things going on while they're working, they go, the call of of Christians is to go produce with excellence. So they put those things aside and they do that. I think it's husbands and wives, mothers and fathers, who get really deeply good at saying, I was wrong and I am sorry, because they have nothing to prove and nobody to impress. I think it's people in a church like ours in a place called Prescott, if you've been here long enough that don't need to be told where to go serve and where to give and what to do because in the places you're already going, you have eyes to see the needs of others and you hear the stories and the hurts and the confusions and you feel in your heart the movements and the needs and so because of your intentionality, you step up as the spirit leads you. Thinking not less or more of yourself but thinking of yourself less. think that's a a vision worth pursuing, but we cannot forget where it starts and where it ends. Coming to Jesus daily to have our feet washed, purified and refreshed so that we can go embrace the concerns, the to-do list of others, the form of a servant. I can't think of a, a passage that expresses this, summarizes it better and, and more beautifully than Philippians 2. It's, it's probably my favorite chapter in, in all of the scriptures. I want to read it. It says this. If then, 
there's any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, focusing on one goal. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look, not, look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Thanks so much for tuning in to our teaching of the week. We are so grateful to partner with you in sharing the love of Jesus in a world that really deeply longs for it. And whether you're new here, seeking more information, looking for a church community, or considering financial partnership, go ahead and visit restorationaz.org for more details. Okay, let's continue making a difference together. So how do we do that? By remembering Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.